Welcome to This is the Gospel, an LDS Living podcast where we feature real stories from real people who are practicing and living their faith every day. I'm Erica Free, and I'm so excited to be hosting this episode today that is all about love because it's Valentine's Day here in the U.S. And I don't know about you, but I've always kind of liked Valentine's Day. It is not because I always have a significant other to celebrate with or anything. I'm actually usually single for Valentine's Day. But I still enjoy it, and I think for me, it started all the way back in elementary school. So I don't know about you, but my elementary school in the States, we would decorate these boxes and hang them at the the end of our desks and walk around and give out candy to each other. And so you'd go home with so much candy, and I thought it was the best holiday ever. So later, when I was on my own in college, I remember wanting to make Valentine's Day special for the people around me. I just would buy chocolates and give them out to my friends. I would write little notes and wear pink and red. And I just really loved celebrating love. And I started to see Valentine's Day not as a day to celebrate romantic love only, but as a day where you can celebrate all different types of love. And that includes love for coworkers, love for family, love for friends, love for a significant other if you have one, or even love for Christ and the gospel. And we have the perfect story for you today that touches on all those different types of love and what they can mean to someone. Our storytellers for today are Ricky and Alexis. Okay, so I knew Ricky from back in high school. He played basketball with my little brother. He and his wife just celebrated their third anniversary last September. Both Ricky and Alexis are cancer survivors. And even though they've survived cancer, they still struggle with various health problems. So to help keep Alexis as comfortable as possible, we recorded at their house instead of a studio where we usually record. So you might catch some background noise of their home life. I think it just adds a great atmosphere for their story. So without further ado, here are Ricky and Alexis. You want Do you want me ahead? to start? Okay. Go ahead. So we met in March of 2016. We were in the clinic at Primary Children's. I had neuroblastoma, which is cancer of the nerves, and Ricky had leukemia. He had ALL. And I was walking to my room. I had just had a pretty major surgery, um, 12-hour surgery, about a month prior. And so I was just learning how to walk again. My scar was bright red. It cuts across my diaphragm and down my entire stomach. So anyways, I was getting... To my room, my nurse was taking me to my room, and from the room across from mine, I heard Hotline Bling by Drake, is when it first came out, Um, (laughs) and I was like, oh, I like this song, and the nurse was like, have you ever met Ricky? And I was expecting, you know, a little, maybe a little five-year-old boy who's bald, and this six-foot-two tall, handsome, dark-haired guy comes out and starts dancing and making me laugh. And um, we start talking and I start asking questions. I asked him what cancer he had. and She was, she I was, was checking if I was legit. Yeah, I was, I was, was getting some credit I really first. Cancer kid. Yeah, I needed to make sure that he was a legit cancer kid and not just... It threw me off because he had hair. And usually that's not something you see on the cancer unit. And so um, he pulled down. He had a port scar that's kind of in the middle of his chest. And 
instead of just pulling his shirt down from the top, he lifts it up, showing all of his abs. Yeah. And, you know, as a 15-year-old girl, I'm like, oh, my goodness. And it worked. I knew exactly what he was doing, but it worked. (laughs) And I was like, I... I love this boy. I need to, I need to follow him. I need to see what he's doing. And I stalked his Instagram, stalked his Facebook. And then I was thinking and I was like, okay, what can I say? What is, how can I start a conversation with him? What can I say? And so the pickup line that I decided on was, Hey, have you ever had radiation? And still that, the cheesiest pickup line to this day. That, like, uh, still, I got it. Like, disappointing. And he gave me it. I'm not going to lie. Disappointing. I think, I think the, the, one of the funnier parts that she's actually pretty excited to talk about that she missed though, is that she, she mentions me lifting my shirt up oh, to yes. show her my abs, obviously. And I, and I have a tiny, tiny scar. Yes. It's just, about two inches. That's what I was saying. And, That's right. And, so it was about two inches. You Go got ahead. it. Go ahead. This is the part that you like to tell. I just wanted to remind you. Thank you. So at two inches and he pulled his shirt up and showed all of his abs. And I was like, yeah, I have one of those. And my port was accessed at the time. I was like, I have one of those. And um, I was like, but I had this too. And I showed him my scar that was brand new all across my, all across my stomach and he was like, oh, yours is way cooler. And immediately very put his hum- shirt very down. Very humbling experience right away. <laughs> right away. Never have and had to step up on And then we best her. friends. And Ricky would come and visit me, even though he was super busy with basketball and high school and just teenage life. As a teenager, you're always looking for somebody to like be around. Especially at that time, I was looking for just a friend. Because I'm at Primary Children's yeah. and there's only kids. And Not very many just, just so happened to be that Lexi was one of the older patients and she was beautiful. Like she was bald. She was really, really skinny. But there was just this, this, it just beamed from her, this, this love and beauty. And it's really hard to describe it because mm-hmm. like she didn't have any eyelashes, you know, she was looking like she was really beat up, obviously. But that that quality of just love was undeniable. And that's what drew me to her initially. And then as we spent time together, as, as my visits, you know, were more frequent, the relationship and the personalities start to develop. And But yeah, she's always, always had a very, very phenomenal way of just showing love even without words. And that's what drew me to her initially. That's sweet of you. The thing that drew me to Ricky was his goofiness <laughs> and his ability to just laugh when when things are hard. That was something that I always knew I needed um, in my eternal companion. Because I knew my life was going to be hard and I needed somebody who could make me laugh every day. So that was probably the biggest thing that stood out to me when I first met you, but now I could list a million things that I love about you, you. and it grows every day. So he left on a mission to Boston, Massachusetts, an LDS mission, and 
We emailed every week and just the best friends. And then he relapsed eight months in and I, he got transferred to New York because he wasn't healthy enough to, he wasn't healthy enough to fly home. I flew out to New York to make sure he was okay. And then he kissed me in the hospital, in the hospital bed in New York. And we started dating. And then 10 months later, we were married. The thing is that like, like mine and Lexi's relationship before I left on my mission was nothing more than just straight a friendship. Somebody who mm-hmm. understood what we'd been through. Yeah, we were really close and friends. While I was on my mission, I was about four months into my mission. I had a moment where I realized that I was going to marry her. And I was honestly pretty frustrated at first. I'm like, I'm four months into my mission. Like, don't give me these thoughts. Don't do this to me. You know, I just, I just barely got into a new area trying to get focused. And I was like, I got, I got too much on my plate to worry about this girl. That's at least 20 months away. Uh, it just was undeniable. I couldn't, couldn't shake it, you know? And so I just learned to embrace it. And it was, a great motivating factor for me, obviously not realizing how soon I was going to be home. It was planted there pretty early on so that I could make that preparation when that time came. So it's a little bit, little bit cheesy, but <laughs> yeah, when she showed up in New York, I was, I was excited. You got a little bit teary eyed and gave me a hug. I've always been very cautious. In I surprised him by the way. I don't know if I said that. Yeah. It was a surprise. It was. But she, she like, she talks about the kiss, like casually, like that was a big deal for me. It was. Yeah. Like I didn't, that was me saying, I'm, I'm here. I'm in it <laughs> full send. And it stuck obviously, luckily <laughs> for me. <laughs> so. He didn't tell me by the way that he knew he was going to marry me and like he didn't fill me in until he kissed me. And then as soon as he kissed me, I knew that that was who I was going to spend the rest of my life with. And even a few months after we started dating, I was like, I went to the temple and I was trying to be like, Emily, father, do I need to marry him or, you know? And it was like, right away I got the affirmation. Like you already know, why are you asking? And so ever since then, See, but she makes that, she, she makes herself seem so innocent in that moment. <laughs> like I'm going to throw her under the bus here. But I, I made my intentions very clear. He did. As soon as, as, soon as I had date. the chance. No, I'm going to tell this story because <laughs> I'm still hurt by it today. No, you're not. But I took her on a date and we'd been on dates before and, and obviously we have a good time together. But this particular date, we were we were just driving and I just turned over and I looked at her and I said, I'm going to marry you. Just just blunt as all get out, right? Just like, yeah. I, this is happening. <laughs> And she straight up stone cold looked me in the eyes and said, yeah, we'll see about that. And that was so crushing. <laughs> like, I've just put it all on the line. I I've yeah. literally made this clearer than day. And you're going to say, yeah, it was a we'll, lot. we'll see about it. It was a lot. We'll see about that. I was like, nah. So, Scared me a little bit. Still a little bit hurt. By <laughs> it, but that's okay. No, you're not. It's okay. Anyway. <laughs> So Ricky, like I said, he had relapsed and it wasn't looking good and he was getting ready for a bone marrow transplant. And I remember a couple people asked me after we got engaged, they were like, 
well, what if he dies? You know, how do you know? How do you know he's going to be okay? And I told him, I don't, I don't know that he's going to be okay. But I know that Heavenly Father needs us to be together. And he needs us to be together right now. I love that. I love the way you said that. He had just finished treatment when we got married. So we got married in September. And so he was still, his body was still pretty, pretty tired from treatment. It, hair was growing back. I still was on chemo pills. So it's not yeah. like I was completely, I, I, I was done with the hospital stays, but yeah. I still yeah, had to do the, the maintenance phase of keeping everything at bay. And I did that for probably a year and a half, almost two years after two years. we were married. For me, I'm a very realistic and logical soul. Lexi's, Lexi's very, very good with faith. I, I have faith. My, my mind is very like, all right, the doctors say this, you know, that's likely going to happen. So going into marriage with Lexi was never scary, but that realization of we're probably not going to be that couple on our front porch in our rocking chair at 80, like that, Mm -hmm. that was real, you know, and, and still to this day, we don't know what the heck's going to happen. If we make it to that, great. Well, that, that would be wonderful. Um, but just our body's sustainability and everything is not that of healthy people. There's been multiple times throughout the course of our marriage where the doctors have come to me and say, said, don't expect her to make it through the night. And as a, as a human that messes with you. Right. And so my, my emotional and my mental and spiritual state at times have been pretty shot because I've seen her in some extremely vulnerable and painful states. And I've, I've had my moments of just saying, why in the world are you sticking around? Not because I don't want her here with me, but because watching her suffer is so hard. And that's a selfish thing to say. Like, Hey, yeah. How about you're done so that I don't have to watch you suffer anymore. And, And looking back on it, Uh, There's been times where I was so broken and so sad that that seemed to me the only way that things would get better. And that's not a very fun thing to go through. It's not a very fun thing to process. And it never gets easier to have the doctors come say, hey, she's not going to make it. You know, all the other things aside, I love being married to her. I love having her as a companion. My greatest joy is my wife, and I've never seen somebody more Christ-like. Watching watching her every single day is, is joyous to me. And the traits that she has... I think, I think being her cheerleader and watching her is, is the most fun thing. He's the best cheerleader. Thank you. He really is. I have cheer moves too. <laughs> he does. <laughs> Dance moves have made me fall in love with him. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's just fun to experience life with him, to experience the joy, to experience the pain. We are insanely grateful. We're grateful for every day that we have with each other and that's something that we did in that we kind of learned while we're going through the trials is 
every moment with each other is so special. Mm-hmm. We're not, you know, like I've, I've really grown as a wife to where, you know, Ricky like doesn't wash his clothes or, you know, like leaves his clothes on the floor. I'm not gonna immediately turn to anger. I'm gonna, you know, I'm more grateful for just him being there and don't get me wrong. Sometimes we still like actually all the time we, you know, don't make us sound bad. We sound good right now. I know. I know. I'm just saying like <laughs> just our, our fights, we, we try not, we try to have an eternal perspective on things. I think whether we do that or not, I don't know, but we try. I think what she's trying to say, correct me if I'm wrong, is that we don't fight about the things that other 20 year old couples. Yeah. Fight. Like newlyweds, like. And communication is so key and it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. But, you know, when you've been through a trial such as ours, you're, you're forced to grow up. One thing too, is that, I mean, for us, we're talking about our trials and what is hard for us, but I think it's important to say that our trial isn't more or less important than any other trial. Like for us, it's health issues and cancer and what comes with it. But for others, it's depression or family problems. You know what I mean? Like we all have these trials that we go through and they, they give us the opportunity to learn more about our loving savior Christ. And I think it's, really amazing to feel about like to feel that love and to feel that peace in those hard times like we still have those hard times every day but our approach to them is so different and we do feel that feel joy in our lives even though they're extremely hard even though it's it's so hard like even yesterday I had I had one of those days, you know, where everything goes wrong and we have lost, um, we've lost nine of our close friends, one of them being my, my very best friend. And that's been something that's been really, really hard to deal with every day, but, but I can feel of the Savior's love and I know that he, I know that my friends are surrounding me. I know that they're right there and I know that I will be able to hug them again soon. That's the thing for Ricky and I as well is that we know if if my you know my trial if my physical trial on earth here ends then I know that I will that Ricky and I will be reunited again soon. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Did that come across? You said that so well. Okay. You did great. But along the lines of of selfless love and service, you know, we went on a trip to Zion's National Park. I'd never been. I was excited. Um, Lexi's family's been before. And trips are, like, for anybody, like, in, in high school, college, like, you can pack up and go take off and hang out there for a bit. But for us, that's a big deal. 
that takes bringing all of Lexi's medical equipment. It takes bringing a wheelchair. It takes planning for her feeds, like all of that stuff. It's not a burden by any means, but it's just not as, it's not like, Hey, get in the car in 15 minutes. We're out here. That's, that doesn't happen. So we were, it was a big thing. And I stress really. It was also my 21st birthday. It was. You're celebrating my birthday. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. We were going to You're you're okay. (laughs) But I'm, I'm a sensitive soul and I stress really easily, especially when it comes to Lexi. So when we got there, uh, I was worried because it was really hot and I could already see that she was torched and she's like, no, I don't want my wheelchair. She's stubborn in the sense that she wants to do as much as she can before her body just can't. And she tried and it hit pretty early. And so as we were on our way through the park, we stopped at the first bus stop to get her a wheelchair to actually get to all of the different destinations, the different tourist spots, I guess is the best way to say that they have buses that drive you from place to place. And they're like 30 passengers in one part. And then it's connected and there's another tagging bus behind it that are connected. And we ran back and got in the wheelchair and got in line for the next bus. And it was, it was a pretty big show anyway. So we're standing there in the line and, and they pulled the ramp down takes forever it's really loud everybody's watching start loading her into it and like i said it's a big scene and people are obviously wondering inconvenience for sure people are curious that's that's a normal human instinct why is that person in a wheelchair why is that person i look healthy (laughs) you went up bald why does that person need a walker like any anytime and i'm i'm not innocent from being curious right um but and i could see people pointing and people whispering and stuff and we got onto the bus and it already had passengers on it. And the bus driver asked a, a few people to move out of the seat where her wheelchair would be. So they stood up and they went to the back of the bus and we get in and I'm like, Oh my gosh, we got her on. Let's just get to the next destination. Let's get her off so we can wheel her around. And a couple minutes into the ride, we stop at a stop and, our our bus was so full that Lexi's family had to be on the back part of the bus where we were detached. We couldn't communicate. I just see her parents jump out of the back bus and hustle up. They're like, we got to get off. This bus is going down the mountain um, rather than up to where all the spots are that we wanted. And so there's, there's a little moment of crud. Let's get her out of here real quick. And so I go and I start to unstrap her seat from all of the latches that the bus has to offer. and. And I was struggling with them. I was just feeling overwhelmed. I couldn't, couldn't get them off and I was missing them. And, and I heard this just sigh of, uh, and then are you kidding me? Now they're getting off. And I was like, so mad. It really killed my vibe. And, and I, I understand people that mentioned it were the same people that had just gotten out of their seat to be there for Lexi. Yeah. It's a lot to ask. I get that. I don't know that I've ever felt anyone made small or bad because of a struggle that they're facing. It At least not to feel, my knowledge. It made me feel really small. It made, like, I'd never felt like that before. Like, I already put a lot of pressure on myself, and I already, like, like I didn't want to make a big deal out of it. That's why I didn't want my wheelchair right away, is because I didn't want to inconvenience anybody else's life. So I already felt... Like really bad about it and 
than just like knowing that I actually did inconvenience them. It it hurt because that's that wasn't my intention. I was just trying to, you know, enjoy my birthday, enjoy the weekend. I th- and I think my frustration came from the comments are obviously about the situation that we're in, but Lexi can't control that. She can't control that. That's what needs to happen for her to enjoy life. If she would, if she if she could, she'd be the same person that got out of the seat. So somebody else in a wheelchair would be there, right? And so to me, I'm just like, and that that's really what got me boiling. And so when we we got out of the bus, like I, her parents carried her out, and I I was lifting her wheelchair, and I kind of just dropped it, like it didn't put it down. I just like kind of chucked it, and it bounced, and and I started walking away, and I was really ticked. And thinking back on it, like I He's overreacted. Very protective of me. I, yeah. very protective. Of me. And I and I definitely overreacted for sure. But I didn't say anything mean. I didn't <laughs> didn't you know yell at him. It's crazy how quick we can get angry, and it's crazy how quick we can be to to just judge others, you know. And for all we know, their day, they could have been like, "Oh crap, why are they getting off now?" I have to be somewhere like I have to pick my daughter up from school or crap. My husband's in the hospital and they don't let visitors out, you know? And so back, like, like looking back on it, I'm not proud of how I handled it anyway. So after I calmed down, it was fun. It was so much fun. I mean, just pushing her around. I I love pushing her in a wheelchair. Like Mm -hmm. I wish I didn't have to, but there's times where it takes that and it's it's like holding her easier for me. And it, it for me, it's like holding her hand and walking. Like, I love it. It's so fun. Yeah. And we had such a good time. And then as we were getting ready, you know, our day was getting done. A big storm was moving in. And so everybody was leaving at the same time. We're at the very top, last last stop in the park. And everybody's moving to the bus stop at the same time. <laughs> so the anxiety and the frustration was starting to kick in again. And I was like, crap. People are going to be watching. People are going to be pointing. I don't don't know how I'll react this time. So we get in line and we waited and it was long. I mean, not terribly long, but long. And as we got about three quarters of the way through the line, the same bus that we were on the first time pulled up and the bus driver jumped out and he picked us out of the crowd and said, come to the front of the line. You know, Getting picked out is always a little weird, but then getting to skip people in lines even weirder, you know? And so you already feel that pressure of, hey, sorry, you know, I know you're here first. Inconvenience. <laughs> and the whole show started again. They rolled the thing out, the, the the ramp. And so the ramp starts its way up and everybody's watching. They didn't let, they didn't open the back bus. There was buses behind us that they weren't, you know, close enough for people to get in yet. And... We get on the ramp and it starts to lift us up and about halfway up just goes click, 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 and then stopped. I was like, crap. And I thought that I, my weight standing on this time was too much. So I jumped actually, I just jumped up into the bus and said, all right, try it again. And he lowered her down and then lifted her up again and it click, 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 click and stopped again and just couldn't get in. And it was the weird in between where we couldn't pull her wheelchair in, but we couldn't just put her on the ground. She was like two feet <laughs> off the ground or something like that. Maybe yeah. that's a little much, but just not there. Right. 
you know, when you feel like people are watching you sometimes, it's like everybody's watching us and they're shooting laser beams at us right now. Like that's what it felt like. Yeah. Like you can feel the heat burning <laughs> your skull. And I was panicking and I was like, crap, not again. Like, no, please. And so the bus driver, I don't, I don't even remember exactly what happened. We're just like, let's just throw her in the bus. <laughs> so he lowered it down again, but she was so exhausted that she couldn't stand by herself. And so her parents actually had her by each arm and her sisters were there, but her sisters were, were kind of standing in, in the back, like not knowing what to do, but they're understanding the situation. Yeah, They knew that if I needed any help at all, they were right there right. to be the first ones just to help. more they were just more not involved because it would have made things more yeah difficult than easy right and i remember that i couldn't like the ramp was still out and it was in a weird spot to where i couldn't just grab her wheelchair and pick it up into the bus and so i'm sitting there and i'm like f- freaking out trying to figure out okay what are we gonna do now everybody's already watching and at this point, the buses behind us just started opening up their doors. They're like, this is taking too long. I'm trying to figure out how am I going to reach over the ramp to close your wheelchair up so we can pull it up in here. And out of nowhere, one of the people who could have very well just gotten onto the back part of the bus or the other buses stopped and started to try and fold her chair up. That's very humbling. And he didn't know how. And so Lexi's dad had to let go of her arm and help him fold it up. And then they lifted it up into the ramp with me and they closed it all up and we, we carried her into the bus. And so we're sitting there and I'm holding on to Lexi as we're on the bus and her family's filling in behind us and, and the bus is filling up. And then that guy who helped walked past and I said, Hey, thank you so much for your help. And he said, no problem. You know, and that was, that was the extent of the conversation. And it wasn't until we were sitting in our hotel room that night. Lexi's already crashed. She's wiped out. And I'm sitting there. And it just hit me like a brick. Like, I should say a ton of bricks. <laughs> and, like, tears just started running down my face. For me, in that moment, that man was my angel. He was the Christ-like example that I needed. Just like, Golly. He acted out of love and acted out of selflessness. He wasn't thinking about himself. I don't know. It made us, helped us realize that our Heavenly Father knows exactly what we need when we need it. Like I said, he wasn't, he wasn't thinking about himself. And that's kind of what we've tried to do ever since, and is make sure that we are spending our days not thinking about ourselves. You know, growing up as a kid, you're taught that Jesus Christ is awesome. He's a superhero. But what made him so awesome? And and just some of his characteristics of, of being selfless and loving and caring really help you understand why he was as great as he was. And I, I've learned a little bit, not, not anywhere close to what the Savior is, but I've learned a little bit about why he enjoyed serving so much. And that's because when we serve and we have love for that person, like we genuinely want to do good by them, that we 
find love and joy and it comes back full circle at the end of the day going back to the first great commandment love God and love your neighbor as yourself the gospel has a whole bunch of principles but love is the central point that is why we come to earth is to be in a loving family that is why we strive to make it back to heaven to be with our loving heavenly father so love the purpose of love that's what the gospel is to me Ricky and Alexis. I love so many things about this and you're going to notice me saying love a lot, but I'm excusing myself because it's Valentine's Day. So hopefully you don't get annoyed with me. But from the moment they welcomed me into their house when I went over to record, I was just so impressed with their kindness. And didn't you love just hearing the way that they talk to each other? I really loved getting to record them together and hear the little comments they made about how well the other one was doing. And sharing your story can be a vulnerable thing, but they were so willing to share it. And that just really showed me how loving they are in all areas of their life. But do you see what I mean now, what I meant at the beginning about how their story shows all different kinds of love? We see the love that Ricky and Alexis had at the beginning, just as friends supporting each other and then them as a couple, the love they had for their friends the love they have for their families, and also their love for God. I love how you could feel both of their love for God and Christ so strongly. The one, though, that stood out to me the most and humbled me the most was the love that stranger had for them while they were waiting for the bus. The thing that got me the most about that is how that stranger didn't even know how to fold up a wheelchair. I thought of how many times that I've passed by someone in need because I'm like, I don't know how to do that. I can't help them. Like, I'm just going to be a nuisance. But it was so humbling to hear that because even though he didn't know, just his act to help meant the world to Ricky and completely changed the memories of this vacation for him. And honestly, it was probably a pretty small thing for that stranger. I don't know that he remembers it now, but it's something that has made a continued difference in Ricky and Alexis's life. And, you know, their whole story just really makes me think of how President Monson said it best when he said, love is the essence of the gospel. And I've learned that sometimes that love looks like taking the risk to commit to life with another person when we have absolutely no guarantees of health or happiness. And sometimes it's not snapping at the customer service person on the other end of the line, which is so hard. <laughs> and sometimes it's grieving. Sometimes it's listening. I think sometimes it's laughing. Whatever it is, I've learned that love is the essence of the gospel and we are capable, sometimes more than we think we are, of bringing that love into our lives and the lives of those around us every day. And I think that there's nothing more Christ-like than that. That's it for this episode of This is the Gospel. Thank you to our wonderful storytellers, Ricky and Alexis, for sharing so much of their story with us and for doing it with so much kindness. And we didn't have time to go over their whole story in this short episode. So if you want to read more about that, we'll put a link to Ricky's blog in the show notes and you can keep up with their journey. You can find our show notes at ldsliving.com slash this is the gospel. 
Now, as always, all of the stories in this episode are true and accurate as affirmed by our storytellers. If you have a true story you want to share with us, we definitely want to hear it. So you can call and pitch your story on our pitch line at 515-519-6179. Not only do we find many of our storytellers this way, but we also get great ideas for episode themes. So be sure to use your three minutes wisely to help us get a clear sense of the beginning, middle and end of your story. And now if you want to find tips on how to pitch your story, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at thisisthegospel underscore podcast. We have lots of fun resources there. Also, if you've enjoyed any of these episodes, you can leave us a review on Apple, Stitcher, or whatever platform you listen on. Reviews help our podcast to show up in recommendations for new people so that they can find us. And also, all of the producers and editors on this podcast, we love reading those reviews. They help us know that our work is connecting with people. This episode was produced and edited by me, Erica Free, with help from Katie Lambert and Corinne Lay. It was scored, mixed, and mastered by Mix at Six Studios. Our executive producer is Aaron Hallstrom. You can find past episodes of this podcast and other LDS Living podcasts at ldsliving.com slash podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.